Welcome in, everyone, to episode 29 of the Peach Day Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hill. Oh, yeah. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another week, another episode. Uh, last week, we talked about what we could expect from the dogs headed into the SEC Championship. We talked about Championship Weekend, um, college football playoff, things like that. And uh, now we're on the back end of that, man. So uh, not a whole lot was going on in the sports world that we talked about last time. So now it's, uh, you know, kind of a slower time for us dog fans because uh, obviously we did win the SEC Championship. Spoiler alert. Um, and we got a few weeks here uh, up until our next matchup in the college football playoff. So this gives us a lot of time to kind of sit back and talk about some stuff we've been skimping on lately, Jake. And um, dare I say, let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. Oh, let's do it, man. Uh, before we get too far into it, man, I will say this. AA was quiet during these winter meetings. The winter meetings started, I believe, on Sunday, and I think they ended up wrapping up either, uh, was it today or yesterday, sometime around then. Um, and we were quiet until right before we're about to hit the live button, Braves make a breaking news move. The Atlanta Braves acquire right-handed pitcher Joe Jimenez and cash considerations from the Detroit Tigers in exchange for outfield prospect Justin Henry Malloy and left-handed pitcher Jake Higginbotham. Um, this is a move. <laughs> I was being a little bit sarcastic when I said like a, a, a super studded move, but it, it, it is an interesting move. Jimenez is a guy that had good success last year, won three and two with 3.49 ERA. Um, he did have two saves and he averages 12.23 strikeouts per nine last year, which was fifth in the American league among pitchers with at least 50 innings pitched. I'm reading it straight off this right here. Um, he also struck out 33% of his batters, which is ranked in the top 5% of the majors. So a guy that you look at to be a back-end type bullpen guy, if he can continue, continue that success. Now the guys we give up. Um, Jake Higgin, Higginbotham, however you want to pronounce it. Buddy, you were 26. Um, you played with Mississippi last year. You had a 4.73 ERA. We're not too worried about you. The interesting one is Justin Henry Malloy, a 22-year-old outfielder that... um had a 289 batting average across three different levels of the Braves minor league system. Um, a guy that showed really, really good tools last year. Um, he, you know, he's a guy that plays left field. He's a guy that could also play some third base. Um, this is a guy that we were all looking at as being potentially our next big hitting prospect. So <laughs> I don't know what I want to say about it. This is a guy, I, usually I'm good about calling prospects. I would give myself that. Whenever there's a guy coming up and I think that they're going to be the next guy, I'm usually pretty good at, at seeing that. This was one of those guys to me. After Von Grissom went away and we started getting a little slim in the minor league system, this was the next guy you were looking at as being a potential guy to maybe make you know some type of impact this coming up season. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. So I don't know if something you know, the Braves saw had, had you know made this move happen or Maybe maybe the damn Tigers are sending us $40 million so we can go out and sign Carlos Correa because there's cap consideration in there. But it, it is definitely an interesting move nonetheless. Now, we've said this in the past, and we'll say it again today. AA has done a lot of things to prove that the Braves are going to be active this offseason. Um, number one is signing Charlie Morton to a 20, I think it was somewhere around $20, $22 million um, one-year deal in October. To me, that points that you have some money to spend because you don't make that move, but that means you have to be quiet in the offseason. Um, also, you don't get in on names like Jacob DeGrom and Brian Reynolds and uh, Mr. Sean Murphy. You don't get in on those names unless you're willing to make moves. And yeah. AA, trust me, we know AA is a guy that loves to make moves. 
So it's been quiet so far, Braves fans, but it's about to amp back up because we've seen what the other teams in the NL East have done in this offseason, and let's just say they are getting better. Yeah, I mean, you said it. You, you pretty much covered it pretty well there. Um, and, yeah, you're right. It, it's pretty much it, it, It's pretty much you're trading JHM for for Jimenez straight up is really what this trade is. You throw in a pitching piece there with Higginbotham, I understand. But, you know, a 26-year-old um, that's been in double, in double A with a 5 ERA is not really somebody that Braves fans are going to be too high on right now. Um, where, uh, you know, you got the number 11 prospect with JHM that everybody was super high on, 22-year-old guy. So, I don't know. When you talked about it, Jake, when the news first came across before we came on air, um, and even now, man, I, I don't really understand it, to be honest. I, I, I don't know how I feel about getting rid of a guy like JH. It just feels like we could have made a more exciting trade with him as a focal point, as a trade piece. Um when I look at this Braves farm system, we just don't – it's so depleted right now, right, because of the guys – you know, and for good reason. The guys that we've called up have been producing. You talk about Vaughn Grissom, Michael Harris, guys like that. Like, when you pull uh, – constantly uh, pull guys out of the farm system and put them up in the big leagues and they play, you know, amazing baseball, your your farm system is going to be depleted. It's not like we just have a crappy farm system that can't produce guys. They're doing it, and we're using them, and that's, you know, that's how it's supposed to work. So – I don't know, man. It, I guess, really, what it is is you're you're trying to recover a little bit from uh, losing Kenley Jansen. Yes. Because um, you look, you do look at the righty side in the bullpen. It's a little bit slimmer than the left. I will say. I mean, you, just off the top of my head, I'm I'm thinking about the left handers in the bullpen. We got AJ Minter, Dylan Lee, Tyler Matzik, guys like that. And from the right, you know, our closer this year is 100% going to be Rossio Iglesias. Um, so I guess Jimenez is going to be the setup guy, um, which I would have assumed you give that title, at least before Jimenez, to Colin McHugh um, is at least what I would think. I mean, I guess you could say Kirby Yates, but he didn't look great last year. So I don't know. But aside from Kirby Yates and Colin McHugh, the right side of the, the or the right-handed side of the bullpen is a little bit slim. So it gives us a little bit of depth, but I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I'm going to, but I'm going to defer to what I always say, and I trust AA and, um, yeah, hopefully you're right. Maybe they're sending us just a whole bucket of cash and we're going to be able to turn around and buy Carlos Correa. Yeah. This is this is a team right here that we've always trusted. Um, they, They've always seemed like they had the right ideas with our young guys, so I'm not going to question it yet. Um, Justin Hammer Malloy, I do want to say this. Good luck, you know, over in Detroit. I hope you, you know, have the best of futures. You definitely will have an opportunity to show something out there because they don't have much talent. So you will be, you know, one of their star-studded guys, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, you were right on the bullpen talk. Uh, left-handed wise, we have AJ Minter, the closer. Obviously, he's Rysel Iglesias. He's a he's a righty. But outside of that, you look at the back end of it. Um, Kirby Yates is a guy you mentioned that we saw very very briefly last year. I think he came back and then st- had another IL stint. We don't know if he can really be that back end type guy. And Tyler Matzik just had Tommy John surgery not too long ago, so he's another guy that's going to be on the shelf for the whole year. So when you look at that that's back true. end, I didn't think about that. You look at the back end of the of the bullpen, man. It's it's Minter in the eighth, and it's Iglesias in the ninth, and we really don't know who that seventh inning guy. Maybe this is where Jimenez steps in. Colin McHugh, another guy you mentioned, is a amazing relief pitcher, but it seems like the Braves like to use him a little bit more in that not really long relief type thing. But if a starter can only go five innings, you might be able to pitch Colin McHugh sixth, the sixth and seventh inning, like. They, they like to use him as kind of more of a multi-inning guy, a guy that comes in a little bit earlier. And the same thing with Dylan Lee. We still see Dylan Lee coming a little bit earlier. So 
that's something I kind of look at maybe in just might be a move to try to get another one of those back in guys. We talked about the strikeout numbers. He, he, he does that really, really well. And another thing I will mention, man, the Braves bullpen has been among the best in baseball for the past couple of years. And we've seen multiple guys come to Atlanta and find success in that bullpen. I know I say this about every position on the field because it just seems true. Guys come in from out of town to Atlanta and they become, you know, big name players, it seems like, to Braves fans. So I, I expect him to be a significant impact in this bullpen. And if this move wasn't made, the Braves were going to make a move at some point for a bullpen arm anyways. We kind of know that with AA. They're not going to go to a season with a depleted bullpen, especially, you know, getting rid of, uh, getting rid of, um, who else, who did we get rid of? Um, Jackson Stevens, that's the name I'm looking for. So, yeah. you know, you have some holes in there to fill up. Um, and, and I, I fully expect, you know, hopefully this is the end of the bullpen moves. The only bullpen move I'd really be looking forward to right now would be maybe a Luke Jackson reunion with the Braves or, um, a Craig Campbell reunion. Those are the two guys I would I would hope for, just for like Braves fans' sake. A yeah, Campbell reunion would be nuts. It'd be intense, and then he'd be DFA'd in two months because he sucks now. Yeah. Um, on to the other notes. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you, Kenny. Um, All right. Right now, slow off season for the Braves. Phillies have went out and got Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker. We talk about the Mets. They've went out and obviously. Um, brought in Justin Verlander. So some NLH teams are making some moves. What is your top want this offseason? If you could have one player on your team that, that is not already gone, so we're taking out Aaron Judge and all those guys because they've already, they've already signed, but a guy that you can see the Braves trade for or sign right now, who would be the player that you would want the most? Um, it, it's not necessarily hard to pinpoint one because I do have one. But there's there's two guys out there, man, that I'm just itching. I'm dying to see the notification come across. I'm waiting on it, and and that's Carlos Correa and Brian Reynolds. Um, I think those are two generational talents. Obviously, we've seen a little bit more from Carlos Correa with him being a little bit older. But um, when you talk about best shortstops in the league, Carlos Correa is on your list, regardless of who you are or what your opinions are. Um, Carlos Correa is just one of the best, not only shortstops, but one of the best hitters in baseball. I know his fielding numbers were a little bit down last year, but you talk about what he could bring to a team, especially like the Braves that are such a dominant team in the batter's box. What he could bring to this team would just be nuts. And and the reason I, I would give him the edge, in my opinion, over a guy like Brian Reynolds, who is also a stud, is um, I just I don't think Vaughn Grissom is quite ready to be a, a big league starter. Um, I. I love Vaughn. I think he very well could be a guy that we see work into that role eventually. But we've talked about it every single time we've talked about the Braves. And I know I have kind of harped on this the entire time. But this is the team that's set up to win now. Um, obviously, we want to set, set things up for the future. We signed Michael Harris to the big deal. We signed Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna, and Ozzy Albies are locked up. Like, we've got our guys. We're ready to go for the future, too. Like, we're not concerned about the future. But you talk about a team that won a World Series uh, two seasons ago. Um, we're in contention last year up until the uh, DS. This team is ready to go right now. So I just don't think that this team is ready to, to hand the keys over to a developmental player like Vaughn Grissom, which is really what he is right now. So uh, that's where I, I would give the edge, in my opinion, personally, to Correa. I, I would like to see us make the big move, man, especially you talk about the Phillies and the Mets making the moves and bringing in guys like they are with Verlander and with Trey Turner and Tywin Walker. Uh, the NL East was stronger this year, this past year, than it has been in the past decade, in my opinion. 
So, and, and those two teams got significantly better this offseason. So, if we want to continue to not only compete or contend in the NL East, but dominate the NL East like we have every single year, um, I, I think it's time to make a big splash move, and Carlos Correa is the guy. Yeah, I, I, I am actually with you 100% on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all aboard the Carlos Correa train right now. I love Dansby. Dansby is an Atlanta legend. If he goes somewhere else, he will still be remembered by Braves fans for a long, long, long time. But the more I think about a Braves lineup and I think about adding a guy to a Braves lineup and adding a guy to this Atlanta Braves team, the more I think about Carlos Correa and just seeing you know the experience he has, his age. There's a lot of things you can look at this with Correa, man. He is the best player left on this market um, with Aaron Judge going to back to New York and you know arguably Trey Turner going over to Philadelphia. Um, it's definitely an interesting thing because we saw Trey Turner kind of set this shortstop mark. He signed an 11 year, $300 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies as a, uh, 29 year old, which is interesting because he is older than both Dansby and Correa. I don't know about Bogarts. I think Bogarts might be the oldest out of all the, all four of them. Um, so he kind of set the thing and we did see the news come out that the Atlanta Braves declined a what six year $140 million offer from Dansby's team that can mean two things to me um the annual value on that's like 22 million I want to say Trey's annual value is not much more than that and that's where you start to get a little bit interested now I will say there's a lot less risk involved in a six-year deal than there's 11 11 year deal especially you know with a little bit of a younger player but either the Braves just don't think that highly of Dansby and want to try to work that number down a little bit, or we're thinking bigger. And as a fan, I would like to think that we are thinking bigger. I think the Braves might be waiting and playing this shortstop market out because honestly, if you're a team in on Dansby and you're trying to make a move on Dansby, why would you not be on and why would you not be in on Xander Bogarts and Carlos Correa? So Dansby is the third shortstop on this pecking order, in my opinion. And I think honestly, majority of you know teams out there's opinions. Um, so it's definitely going to be a really, really interesting free agency for the Atlanta Braves. And obviously offseason, you mentioned Brian Reynolds is a guy we could trade for. That's rumors that are swirling. This is a guy that we've been looking at for the past, it seems three years, every single trade deadline rumors come up that Brian Reynolds is going to get moved and the Braves name is always in there and it just never happens because the Pirates refuse to trade the guy. Well, guess what Pirates? Now this guy has came out and said that he wants to be traded. He wants off this team. I know the Pirates said that they're not going to adjust their offseason plans due to this. But yes, you are. You're not going to let a player stay on your team after saying publicly that he wants to leave your team. You don't see that happen very often. In baseball, you don't see guys request trades very often. So this is definitely an interesting thing to see. Um, He's a guy that just got a new contract extension not too long ago. So a guy that has a lot of team control. The one negative with getting Brian Reynolds in on this team is an already depleted minor league system will become even more depleted. And I don't even know if it's going to hit the minor league system that hard. We're talking about guys like Vaughn Grissom and William Contreras as guys potentially being traded in that deal, which, you know, at that point you're starting to wonder is, does this Braves team get better from that? Yeah. Let, let me ask you something because I've got two interesting questions on my mind right now. Um, question number one, if the Braves go out and sign Carlos Correa, is that the only splash move we make? Is it Correa and then we're done? Yes, in my opinion. All right, I agree. Question number two. If the Braves bring back Dansby Swanson, does that leave the door open for Brian Reynolds? Yes. I, th- so I think would you, so. 
where would you rather be? Would you rather be a Carlos Correa team and maybe hold on to guys like Von Grissom and William Contreras? Or would you rather bring Dansby back on a little bit more team-friendly deal and be able to go out there and get a guy like Brian Reynolds and maybe give up some more of your upper echelon prospects or even players? It's very, very hard for me because I don't mind giving up Vaughn. I don't mind giving up Vaughn if we get Correa. I think Vaughn is a shortstop. I think that is where they're going to try to end up sticking him. I know there's been questions about moving him around the field, but I, I think that he is going to try to stick at shortstop. Um, and if you get a guy like Dansby or Correa in, obviously you're going to be looking at at least a five- to six-year deal, no, no matter which one you get in. Um, Correa, probably a longer-term deal because he can get that anywhere else. Um, so he's not really going to be in your plans for the future. You'd have almost have to move Vaughn at that point for some more major league talent. There would be no point on keeping him around. No. The only problem is I don't know, like I, I don't know how much more past Vaughn I would be willing to give up for Brian Reynolds. Um, right. William Contreras is a no go for me, honestly. If we have to give up Vaughn and William Contreras, I'm out. If we have to give up, like William Contreras to me. Last year in a smaller sample size, I will say that. I mean, he's he, if William Contreras is an everyday DH next year, he's probably not going to put up the same numbers he put up this past year. We have to be realistic with that. Last year, he was the best offensive catcher in baseball in his sample size. There's no doubt about that. As a 20, what, 22, 23-year-old. Yeah. My other concern is Travis Darno is not getting any younger. Like, we love Travis Darno. He's been a top five. He's been, a, I think, a top seven catcher in baseball the past three years in war. He is a top-tier, I wouldn't say elite, but he is right there at elite. He is probably around the same caliber as a guy like Sean Murphy. But he's not getting any younger. You have to have a catcher to step in after after Darno, and that is beautiful. It's perfect that we have Contreras sitting there. Um, so that that's where it kind of gets a little bit shaky for me. Um, if we if we can move Grissom and maybe like a mixture of Elder and somebody else, or a mixture of Muller and somebody else, I would be in on that because I. I I think that might be able to work. You got to think, man, it's going to be a ransom for Brian Reynolds because I guarantee you almost every playoff team is going to be making calls on that guy. Man, I I don't want to jump the gun, but this uh, it, it feels like we are starting to suffer from losing Shea Langleyers. Yes. Oh. I, I agree, I agree. But Lang Lears has to be damn good to be as good as William Contreras. I, I, no, I, no, I agree 100%. And I don't want to turn loose a Wild Bill. I love Wild Bill. I want him on this team. I want to see him moving forward. I love this guy. But my Lord, are you going to be more willing to turn loose of a guy like that if you have Shay Lang Lears sitting down there at AAA? Maybe. But still... With what William Contreras did last year, I don't think so. I it's think just, that I, say, I think that Lang Lears would still be your biggest option to trade, and then right now we wouldn't have Matt Olson. So it, it's kind of like a, a a double-sided like sword. Like we'd have a hole at first base at that point. So yeah, you kind of have to look at it a little bit differently. Um, and Braves have made multiple moves in the past to deplete our, our farm system. You know, we talk about the Matt Olson deal, which is worth like it's worth it. We have a you know a top tier first baseman now. And I'm not going to say multiple moves because a lot of the big-time prospects are playing in the major leagues right now and are under control for multiple years. So, I mean, you can still consider those guys as, you know, young, talented players that are contributing at the major league level. Um, 
yeah, we're in a sticky situation as Braves fans because if you want to make a big trade, you're going to see your major league team get hurt. Um, a lot of the times, whenever you have loaded farm systems, you might trade some big time prospect and. You know, diehard Braves fans like me and Kenny guys that dig deep into like prospect rankings and stuff will will notice it. But like an everyday Braves fan, who cares if we trade the second ranked prospect that hasn't played a game above Double A? Like we don't even know who these people are. So it, for like fans that know, like even like William Contreras, honestly, if we trade William Contreras tomorrow, I guarantee you, like there, there's going to be a good bit of casual Braves fans out there that don't give a crap. But they also probably don't know who the hell Brian Reynolds is either. So. It's kind of like a mixture of, of a lot of things going on right now. And AA is a guy that surprises, man. That, that, that is the one thing about Alex Anthopoulos, man. You don't, and I will say another thing about him. He's going to make a move without anybody reporting it. Like we've seen multiple times in the past, the Braves Twitter page will post a press release before John Heyman or anybody get the news that the Braves have made a move. We don't let stuff get out. So hell, we might be trading for damn... We might be trading for damn Francisco Lindor tomorrow. And nobody even knows. <laughs> no clue. i tell you something that really makes me nervous is um, the way that Aaron Judge deal shook up. I, I'm a little bit concerned that the Padres and, and Giants are going to empty their pockets to try and get Correa. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm thinking almost the same thing. Uh, I did see that the Dodgers are not going to get Go after Carlos Craig because they don't feel like the fans will root with them because of the World Series stuff, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if I would, if I'm an owner of a team, if I would let that really be a, if you don't come to a game because your team signs a certain player, like you're just not a fan at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, get over it. If, we, if a ring comes from it, then you. Thank you. At the end of the day, win, winning is the tell all. If, if, if you win games, nobody cares. That That is the truth, man. There, there's. Man, this all season, man, we can go on and on about it, but until something actually happens, which is it's it's probably gonna, you know, things are gonna start shaking up really, really well now that the winter meetings have passed. And, you know, it, it might be a quiet I will say this, it might be a quiet couple of weeks right now because Christmas time is coming up and I know a lot of these guys are probably not gonna want to really get to business during this time of year. But after Christmas and we enter the new year and spring training gets really, really close coming up in March and stuff, man, it's gonna get rolling. And, you know, winter meetings got some stuff rolling, but for the Braves Hey man, three of the three of the four top shortstops are still in the market. So let's make a move, man. Really, my only wish list is to bring in a shortstop. Rather that be Bogarts, Swanson, Correa, Adamas. That's a guy that you know has been rumored a lot to be coming to Atlanta. A shortstop that is not that is actually like a top level caliber player that we will get relative production that we got last year. Not no damn one year deal to Elvis Elvis Andrews to platoon with Von Grissom. I don't care about that. If we're gonna do that, just let Von play every day. Right, I agree with you 100%. If, if we're going to make a splash move, a big move like on a guy like Carlos Correa, um, I think it's all or nothing, man. I agree. Um, is that it for Braves on you, with you, Kenny? That's it for me, man. I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm sitting back patiently awaiting something to come across my face that gets me fired up. Hey, Joe Jimenez is now the biggest move of the offseason, so we'll take it you know, one step at a time. You got to start somewhere. Baby steps. 80 steps. Um, what does that bring us to next? Uh, what do you want to talk about? Um, we can talk about a couple things. Um, we do have a, a little college football to recap. A little bit. A little bit of college football, for sure. You want to head in that direction? Let's do it. All right, man. Well, um, obviously, championship weekend just rounded out. College football playoff is set, and it is time to go for your top four teams in the country. 
Um, let's start with the dogs, man. We uh, we talked about the exciting SEC championship matchup and uh, what we thought you could expect from that game. Um, obviously, we match up <clears throat> against LSU in a team that really surprised a lot of people this year. Um, bringing a guy like Jaden Daniels, who turned out to be a big contributor and an absolute stud all season, tore teams up with his legs. Um, it was super efficient through the year. And uh, Jake and I, I think a key point that both of us made is that this Georgia team is almost impossible to run the football against, and we've never seen a quarterback torch us on the ground. And um, dare I say that we held to that, man. This SEC championship was an absolute masterclass on the ground for this Georgia defense. We allowed 47 rushing yards in this game. Um, and obviously come out with the SEC championship in a 50-30 to 30 win against LSU. Um, it was an absolute dominant performance from the offensive side of the ball the entire game. Um, started off a little bit slow in the first couple of possessions, but then really came in and took over the game. Stetson Bennett, absolute masterclass. 23 for 29, 274, four tuds, and uh, congratulations to the mailman himself. He is a Heisman finalist. We will see him in New York City. Love to see it, man. So excited for that now. But, I mean, you know, we 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 didn't preview this game as much as other games because I think you and I were both along the same thought process that it was going to kind of shake up the way it did um, in a dominant Georgia victory. Uh, the dogs win and cover. Um, it's great to see an SEC championship, man. This is the game that we've struggled in in years past, and to finish things out for, uh, you know, to go 13-0 and for the first time in school history is just super exciting. And um, line up into a college football playoff against a team that we have not mentioned yet that is going to be a, uh, a very, very hyped matchup something that we're going to get to talk about for the next month yeah this georgia game man it was it was exciting um me and kenny talked about it last week we said what it was going to be and it turned out to be that um i will say it was an interesting game i was leaning more to a low scoring game and this game was completely opposite georgia went out and dropped 50 on lsu um hilariously they went for two while up by three possessions or four possessions and it was a 80 mitchell pass to darnell washington um it's funny because the play that led to a touchdown was actually Darnell Washington planning somebody on the outside to let one of our running backs get in. And it seems like they wanted to reward the man and get him another touch, and that's what they did. Let, let, let him get in the end zone for the two-point conversion. Um, a couple key notes for this game. You mentioned it. Stetson Bennett balled out. Stetson is that dude. We've said it all season long. We've said it since, you know, he got that starting job, and he's rolled with it. Um. Kendall Milton had a great game on the ground. Eight carries, 113 yards. Kenny McIntosh continues to impress, man. He, he's he's really developing as a runner. Um, And Brock Bowers can't cover the man, can't tackle the man, can't do much with the man at all. He just does Brock Bowers stuff. There's not a player like him in college football. He is the best player in college football based on position. He is the farthest up among everybody else at any position. So give that man the GOAT status. Um. If we look at if we look at LSU. I will say this: LSU went out and dropped thirty on us. Um, good job, LSU. That was very, very impressive. I was very impressed with it, and it was not the guy we talked about all week with Jaden Daniels. It was Garrett Nussmeier, and this guy balled. If he was yeah. the starting quarterback for the full game, I would have probably been nervous because it seems like as soon as he came in, they flipped a switch. <laughs> now Georgia had the switch going the whole game, so we were still able to maintain almost three point. Three, three possession lead but he came out there second half 15 for 27 294 two tubs an interception and 
it led to two LSU receivers having 100 yards. Now, Kenny, that wraps up my LSU talk, but you had just mentioned a team that we have not mentioned yet, and uh, I'll, I'll let you go into it a little bit and let you know and let you give the people out here an idea of how come that's a little tiny bit scary. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And, and before I mention the team, I want to say this. Um, the Georgia defense allowed 500 passing yards. Yes. Um, which is something that we just haven't seen all year. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer here. When you're up four possessions against a the team, they have no option but to let that thing ride. And that's exactly what LSU did. And when you're playing against a defense for a team that is up by that much in a game, they're going to play a little bit more conservative, give up the underneath stuff. Um, so I, I understand where a lot of that chunk comes from, and it maybe makes it look a little bit more concerning than it really is. So I'm going to give that out as a little disclaimer for me personally. But um, no, you're absolutely right. And we are headed into a college football playoff matchup against the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is super exciting for Georgia fans because this is a team that we have played one time in school history. And I believe it was the early 90s, maybe 1993, I want to say. The only time we've matched up against this, against this team. And this is a bona fide passing offense. This is all they do. They're extremely one-dimensional. They throw the ball. They've got two amazing playmakers out wide with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison. And, um, you know, a little bit of a breath of fresh air or a, a breath of relief for Georgia fans. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is not going to play in this game. He has declared for the NFL draft and will not play the remainder of this season. Um, now, obviously, for Georgia fans out there, we're not scared of anybody. We don't care. You know, line them up against us. We'll put our 11 against your 11, and, and you know, we trust our boys. So, um, you know, take that as you will. But when you miss a, a key player like that on this Ohio State team who – they were most likely expecting to get back. I mean, you, you've got such a big gap between this conference championship or for them. Uh, they, they played a week earlier against Michigan and did not play in their conference championship. You got over a month for a guy to get healthy and come back in there and, and really work his way into a, a contributing role on offense. So I'm sure they're pretty uh, blindsided by this news. Um but, man, it, it, it doesn't change anything. This team can still throw the ball. C.J. Stroud is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's probably um, two or three on your list, depending on who you ask. Uh, probably the n number two overall quarterback prospect in this year's draft behind Bryce Young. Um, this guy's an absolute stud, and Marvin Harrison is one of the best wide receivers in college football. So um, it, it doesn't change anything for us on the defensive side of the ball. we still got to show up and show out. we got to get Keely Ringo playing good. Uh, Kamari Laster, he's been nails all season. So, um, you know, this is going to be a big, a big month for us to get ready to play these boys because we need a defensive master class without a doubt. Now, have you mentioned our pal Keely? Um, Keely might have had the worst game a Georgia defensive back has ever had in recent memory. It was ugly. That's not going to happen again. Um, nope. You can poke joke, you can poke fun at Keely Ringo all you want to. Um, anytime you have as high as ex expectations at a position like cornerback and you don't succeed, all eyes are going to be on you. People are going to notice it a lot more. Um, if Keely Ringo gets beat over the top, it's going to get noticed a lot more than if Kamari Laster does. Just That's just how it works because Keely Ringo is that guy. Um, Kamari Laster is also a stud. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that now. Kamari Laster is becoming that guy. But... If you're just somebody that watched the game week by week you and you watched last season, you're going to think of Keely Ringo as being your number one lockdown cornerback. Um, 
And he still is that guy. If he was not that guy, NFL scouts would not be drooling over this guy as a potential top 15 pick in the NFL draft. So there's a, there's a lot of things going into this. Um, and I expect him to match up very, very well against these Ohio State wide receivers. You mentioned it with Jackson Smith and Jigba declaring for the NFL draft and not participating in the rest of the season, pulling a little bit of a Nick Bosa action that we saw at Ohio State a couple years back. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> it, it is definitely going to be an interesting matchup, but a fun matchup, man. We have some of the best safeties in college football to help over the top with Chris Smith, uh, Malachi Starks, Tyke Smith. Um, and then we look at the cornerbacks with, um, I'm so sorry. My, my brain goes blank about five times on this podcast, mid-sentence, and it just never comes back. Um, Keely Ringo, um, Kamari Laster, and who, one second, I am tripping so bad. Um, Bullard. Javon Bullard, yeah, that's, that's the name Bullard. I'm looking for. Javon Bullard has been a sensation at Georgia this season the past couple weeks, man. This guy has been really, really playing well. And he's another guy that can help over the top and help, you know, in the box and help cover these these star-studded uh, Ohio State wide receivers with their dominant passing attack. This is a team that also can run the ball a little bit. They have a couple guys in the backfield that, that can't tote it, but we know how Georgia works with run game. We That's not happening. That's not happening. Yeah. It does not matter what team you are. Um... But it's going to be a fun matchup, nonetheless. Um, we still have a couple weeks to really prepare for it, so I'm sure as the weeks go on, we'll dig a little bit deeper into numbers. We'll dive into it. But for right now, I'm just going to say it's a fun matchup, and the dogs are going to dogs. Um, and before yeah. we get off this, I, I do want to mention, you know, in the last episode of the podcast, I, I said that Georgia was going to be LSU um, and stay at one. I then mentioned that Michigan was going to beat Purdue and stay at two. I mentioned that TCU was actually going to lose to Kansas State and stay at three, and... USC was going to lose to Utah, and that was going to force Ohio State to jump in at four. Was I right? That, that I, boy a prophet. Because because the whole time I kept on seeing stuff saying, "Oh man, oh shit!" If TCU loses this ball game, Alabama gonna step in there. Y'all ain't gonna know hit you. Yeah, right, buddies. Keep your damn redneck cousin loving self back on the couch because that's where you're gonna be sitting. You can play in the in the in the cousin lover bowl. That's about all you getting, buddies. Get him, Jake. Had to get a little ran out there. You know, I'm sorry. We. Uh, no, you. Um, were, you are absolutely right, man. That was super impressive. As soon as the the playoff records came out, it was two minutes. I had a screen recorded timestamp from Jake. Huh. Seems like somebody predicted this. And that man, that man did. I ain't gonna lie. That was very impressive. Jake is a prophet. Put this man on the playoff committee right now. I showed my coworkers and everything, man. I was I was locked in on that moment. It was a very proud moment. Sent it in my family group chat, sent it in my Snapchat group chat with the boys. You know, there's multiple chats that that got sent to because it was a proud moment. Now, it was also an advertisement to Peach State Tailgate. So, you know, we, we do what we got to do sometimes. You, you put the information right. out. Sometimes you got to prove we know what we're talking about, even though it might only be about 20% of the time. Um, even though our best would probably tell us differently. Uh, <laughs> even though it might only be about 20% of the time, uh, we, we give some good takes every now and then. Oh, absolutely. We, we talk about it all the time. We're bona fide statisticians. We, now, did, we, we didn't know that Jake over here was a God-ordained college football profit i mean we you know what a benefit to the show yeah we're definitely not going to talk about how in one of the early episodes i mentioned that keaton slovis was going to give a uh, similar production at pit that kenny pickett did so we're going to step past that moment that was really really early on the podcast that was not seasoned I, i'm sure you might remember that kenny because i think we had a little bit of an argument on that you're right i'm not going to step back to the moment where i said mississippi state was famously going to be better than lsu the sec west champs 
we're gonna pass that and we're just gonna stick on this moment right here because this is my moment you know you 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 gotta go down a little bit before you can come up and right now i'm i'm high man i'm i'm living high right now we're feeling good i had some That's bad right. takes early on we're hot right now give that man his flowers you deserve it jake you need to just bask in this glory right now and enjoy every second of it um and I want to say, too, before we hop off this LSU game and move on, yes, 100%, we got a, a long road ahead of us before this playoff and, and several episodes of the podcast that we'll dive in and give a little bit more insight into what to expect in that Ohio State matchup. But one thing I want to say, um, and Kirby mentioned it in his post-game presser. He mentioned it um, this week in practice, and I noticed it in the game. I think everybody noticed it in the game. This Georgia defense has been very, very good all year long, one of the best in the country. And they do one thing very well, and they do it every single week, and that is man coverage. This team will line up and play man coverage. They'll line up on the line of scrimmage, press the hell out of you, and make you try and beat them outside. And we have elite safety help. We have elite corners out there that can really man up anybody, and we feel pretty good about it. And for some reason, we decided to line up in this game and run zone 90% of the time. Um, I don't really know why we decided to do that, but uh, Kirby mentioned it. And, you know, when Kirby kind of points out something that they changed schematically and it did not work very well, it gives me every reason to believe that we are not going to be doing that moving forward. Yeah, there, there was it sucks so bad because there was a lot of stuff that was on Keeley. I will say that it, it seemed like Keeley was the closest defender. I'm not going to point no fingers because I don't know who the safety was that was in the deep third. But it, it did almost seem like to me that... On that one touchdown, it looked like Keeley was just sleeping. There was two crosser routes going across that on his side of the field, and they could have easily cut up field and got to him. And that safety that was playing that deep third that that wide receiver worked over to the middle on went from the middle of the field all the way down to those crosser routes in like one second. So Keeley was kind of left out there in the end zone by himself. Now, he probably should have stuck with the receiver noticing that. But I will say, if you are playing a straight zone coverage and you are staying in your zone, he stayed in that damn zone. I'll give him that. Give him props yeah. on it, Kirby. Get that man a toast, because if that was his zone, he was not moving out of it. <laughs> no, and there was a deep ball touchdown right on top of Keeley's head that everybody wanted to come after him for. That we saw Malachi Starks jump around a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. You missed it, missed it by a fingertip, gave up a touchdown. And Kirby addressed that in the postgame presser and said, look, man, you know, this is a freshman player, and we've seen him make that play 10 times out of 10 this entire season. And it just, he missed it. He misjudged it. He jumped it a little bit too early. It's something that we're just not accustomed to seeing. We're not really concerned about that, guys. Let's um, mention uh, the best possible ball that can be thrown. Yeah, absolute laser. And it's just it, a misread by Malachi Starks. And like I said, something, and like Kirby said, it's something that we've seen him make. He's going to make that play 10 times out of 10 this entire season. Um, if you get burnt once, um, you, you see it happen there. And it wasn't even that he got burnt. He just misjudged the read. He, he mm -hmm. jumped up, tried to get the pick, and the ball dropped right over top of him. And nothing you can do about that, man. It's going to happen. It's it's inevitable. At some point, it's going to happen to you. Um, so we're just lucky that it happened in a 20-point win in the conference championship game. That's true. Um, I am off of Georgia now. Um, is there is that your closing thoughts? That is it for me. Um, I'll tell you what, before we hop into our bets, I think we should uh, do a little do a little recap and talk about what's going on in this NCAA transfer portal. Yes, yes, very much so, sir. Um, you want to start us off? I'll let you kick us off here. All right, so transfer transfer portal season is upon us, guys. Ever since this new rule change where, t where players can get free transfers, 
things have been hot, and I don't even know what the hell the true rule, like the the real rule is. We've, we're seeing guys that are entering for the third, fourth time now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a Twitter page out there called Transfer Portal. That was the only name it was, and it was a picture of JT Daniels announcing that he entered the transfer portal. They subtweeted it and said, um, love my frequent visitors or something like that. And I was like, that is hilarious because he's about to go play for his fourth team in like six years in college football. So <laughs> former five-star top-tier recruit, um, Georgia Bulldog legend, JT Jones, by the way. But yeah, this year has been no different. We saw it last year. We're seeing it this year. Um, I would say even more this year. This year has been absolutely insane in the first couple weeks. It seems like nobody's safe. We're seeing rumors of guys like we saw we saw rumors of guys like um Tyler Van Dyke at Miami thinking about leaving Miami. Um, the big one is um, Kenny. Kenny, help me out, North Carolina. I told you my name is my brain is not good with names. Drake May. Drake May. That's the name I'm looking for. I almost said Sam Howell. I was going back a couple too too many years. Drake May is a guy we've seen rumored. Uh, those rumors have been squashed now because he's went on Twitter and said he's staying. Uh, Tar Heel. Now, we've seen crazier things happen in the past with college football and, you know, saying you're going to stay with a team or saying that you're true to a team. Um, but, yeah, man, things have gotten electric. Um, and we mentioned Deion Sanders. We haven't mentioned it yet on the podcast. Deion Sanders is going to Colorado. He's bringing a lot of guys with him. And not so much the quarterback position. I don't think they're going to hit the portal that hard this year because he said in his conference that his son is the quarterback of that team. He is coming with him along with Travis Hunter, the, corner, the former top recruit in the nation. But, um... I'm assuming they're going to get some help at some other positions at Colorado. There's going to be some significant transfers um, that are going to be leaving their schools and joining Dion in Colorado. I would assume that is going to be a real thing that happens. Um, but the big position I want to talk about, is because this is a position that you look around college football, you can recognize these names a lot better than what you can recognize some names. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't tell you to run it back at NC State if a, I don't know his name. But I could damn sure tell you that quarterback and that quarterback, Devin Leary, or I was. Now Devin Leary has entered the transfer portal. A star-studded quarterback, a guy that had Heisman hopes going to last season, had an injury, missed the rest of the season after the, you know, I think it was he played like three, four weeks, missed the rest of the season. He is now in the transfer portal. DJ Ungalale lost his job. I think that was correct. Lost his job in the ACC championship to, uh, what was it, Cade Klubnik? Um, Klubnik is now the guy at Clemson. Ungalale is looking for a job. Hudson Card, a guy that we saw get some PT with Texas this year after Quinn Ewers went down with a with a pretty gruesome shoulder injury, and a former top-tier recruit in the nation, is entering the portal. Not to mention guys like Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. We also have guys like Malik Hornsby, a guy we saw at Arkansas get some play time with KJ Jefferson going down last year. Another pretty solid recruit when he first came into Arkansas. Cade McNamara, guy that was playing in Michigan. Now he's going to Iowa. He's really the first quarterback to announce his transfer. Drew Pine, a guy that had a lot of success at Notre Dame last year. Graham Mertz, Wisconsin's quarterback, a pretty notable name out there. Um, Haynes King, Texas A&M guy, guy had a messed up, messed up throwing thing. And plenty more, man. We have a lot of guys out there this year. Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. A lot of guys that can play ball at this quarterback position. And me and Kenny have been talking in our group chat with our friend Jacob. We have been discussing this every single day, it seems like. Where are these guys going to go? Oh, this guy entered the transfer portal. This guy did too. Oh, I think this guy's going to go here or here. Oh, man, it's crazy. This time of year in college football, I know some college football fans hate it because they say it's getting too much like the NFL. For guys like us that love movement and love to see big news in the off seasons and stuff actually happening when a sport is not being played, dude, I'm down for it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, man, I like it too. I think it just makes things exciting, right? I mean... We've seen college football. It is absolutely 
one of the most exciting areas in all sports, but you talk about football, and it's the NFL, and then it's college football. There's no in-between. There's no minor league. Like They have little things out there. You got XFL ball. You got USFL ball, but it's just it's not the same in football. Um, college football really has become like a development league football for the NFL. And if you have NFL aspirations and you're a guy that really has the ability to go earn a spot in the NFL and make your millions and hopefully contribute to a team, regardless of what position you play, you've got to be put in the right position in college. We've seen it happen year after year. Um, and every once in a while you see a guy who maybe isn't put in the right position in college go into the NFL and make a big impact. But for the most part, when you're talking about guys in this draft class, you're talking about guys like Bryce Young at Alabama or guys like C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Um, you're not talking about these these smaller school guys. I mean, we've seen things happen every year. There's 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 situations like Trey Lance or like Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. That stuff happens. But those things when when they come up and those guys when they go up into the you know draft prospects and draft boards, it, it's just it's it's few and far between. For the most part, you've got to be really in a good position to impress and play good quality opponents and good quality football for a conference and for an organization and if you're not doing everything that you can to put yourself in that position you're hurting yourself and um, I don't think you can fault these guys in their attempt to try and do that so um, yeah that's kind of my take on it I enjoy seeing it and you're right man there's so many scenarios that we can work in our heads and try and figure out where these guys are going to go a pretty predictable one was last year with JT Daniels going to West Virginia. It seemed like that was kind of a, a spot that he could potentially land at. And you mentioned it, he's transferring again. But you talk about guys like Devin Leary and guys like DJ. Um, these are quarterbacks that, you know, and, and I guess Devin Leary is a little bit different because he is an absolute stud. This is a guy you were right, has been hopeful, you know, was in the conversation uh, two seasons ago. And then this year has the big injury when he's playing well. So, this is a guy that not only is he looking to transfer and go somewhere where he's going to be able to make a you know a, a change some some minds and change some uh, some some scouting opinions on him headed into next year's NFL draft, but this is a guy that you could plant on your team right now and he will help you win day one. Um, so it's about what team needs a guy like that. Not not only we're not just looking for a team that needs a young guy to come in there and help build the program up. We're talking about a team that is a quarterback away from competing in their conference for competing in win totals. And Devin Leary, to me, is the exact guy you want to take, plug and play, and put him in there. So I'm super curious to see where some of these guys end up, man. Yeah, it's crazy because I just named all those names. And that was without naming Spencer Sanders, Oklahoma State, really, really good quarterback. That was without naming Mr. Um, guy I mentioned earlier, Keaton Slovis, um, former top recruit, didn't really look too good at Pittsburgh last year, but still guy that we know has a lot of talent. Mike Wright from Vanderbilt. We saw what he did at Vanderbilt last year. He played really, really good ball. There's a lot of guys, man. There's so many different guys looking for jobs right now. You know, Chance Nolan. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so many dudes, man. And it just seems like, and I, I know the 12-team playoff is so really, really hard to you know, get behind and, and try to get with it. But it just seems like that's also a driving factor with some of these guys, man. You're going to a team, it's no longer trying to get to one of those top teams like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State. Now you can get in with a team like Florida State and make the college football playoff. Like these, it, it diversifies the league so much. And it kind of makes it where these teams aren't stacking because 
there's some schools out there that used to have three or four, you know, four-star, five-star quarterbacks on one roster, and they were stuck. Like, if you wanted to leave, you had to sit out a whole season. And now we're getting, like, fortunate enough where these kids or these young men don't have to do that anymore. If you get to a program and it's not what you think it is, you're not going to get the opportunity like you thought you were. You can now leave that program and move on to another one and try it again. Like, there's there's a lot of different options out there, man. And as a, as a football fan, as a college football fan, I can see it from some people's arguments. But as somebody that roots for the well-being of young athletes and wants to see the most talent we can see at that level and just enjoys the game of football, you should love to see this. Because this is going to be the way that you can watch the most talent on the field any game on every Saturday. This is the way that it will happen. Yeah. No, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, I'm not a big DJ Ungalale fan at all, but I would hate to have to see him either sit out a year transferring this year or see him have to sit behind Cade Klubnik the whole season. I would hate to see that as a college football fan because this is a guy that wants to play in the NFL. I might not be the biggest fan of his game. I might not enjoy watching him play football very much. I'm not going to lie to you. But he still has NFL aspirations. Like, there's there's so much stuff that goes into it, man. Yeah, do you – Mention it with DJ. I mean, this is the guy that we've seen underperform in big moments. But you're telling me that I would love to see this guy come in and take over for Spencer Spencer Petrus. Exactly. Or look at look like, at man. It's it. Look at Hudson Card. Hudson Card's a guy that went there when Sam Ellinger was about to leave for the draft. He goes to Texas. Quinn Ewers transfers over from Ohio State. Guess what, bud? Your job is done. And this is a guy that's like a class ahead of you. If you stay at Texas, you're going to be a senior by the time you get to play. Now he gets the opportunity. I'm, I'm assuming that he thought hopefully he might be have the ability to win that job at Texas last year. Obviously, that didn't happen. Now he gets the opportunity to go elsewhere as a young quarterback that still has a lot to prove at the college football level and, and go out there and do it. Like, this is the primetime opportunity to see it, man. Yeah, dude. And, and Hudson Card is a prime example there because not only did he lose his position when Quinn Ewers transferred, but he's looking at Arch Manning coming in this season. Like, it, it, what is he supposed to do? If you're not a fan of the transfer portal, what is this guy supposed to do, man? When he signed on to come to Tech, like, you can sit there and be as hard as you want to and say, well, he just needs to stay and compete and wait his time. His time has slapped run out. There is no opportunity for him. We know how it works in the NFL. Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz is a prime example. And I know Carson Wentz goes down with the injury and Taylor Heineke comes in there and is playing really good football right now. But Taylor Heineke addressed it as soon as they bring in Carson Wentz. They said, do you think you have a legitimate shot at earning the starting position? And he said, no. When you're paying a guy $20 million to play football, you're going to put him on the field. And it is no different in college football. These guys aren't getting paid a salary. But when you've got a five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in the recruiting class coming in and Arch Manning, I'm sorry, Hudson Card, but you just got moved to the bottom of the totem pole, buddy. Like, there's no chance in hell that you earn that starting job in Texas once Quinn Ewers leaves. So you got to get out of there when you can. And uh, if you're faulting that man for that, then you're just wrong for it. We saw that with DJ. I mean, mm-hmm. DJ struggled for two full seasons at Clemson before Dabo finally made the switch. Yeah. And it took him all the way until a, a, a conference championship game to make the switch. Like, like it, it's yeah, not- And he, he was a former top recruit. He was a guy that, you know, played after Trevor Lawrence got hurt for a couple games the season before. It looked really, really good. So they had high hopes with him. And they were hoping he could figure it out. But they gave him two seasons to find it out. It's wild, yeah. man. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I know I keep on, like, ranting, but it's it's just so much going on, man. 
Yeah, we're, we're, a lot of things are going to shake up. We're going to see it. And a key point you mentioned there is with, with the Dion hire at Colorado and bringing those guys in from Jackson State. That's an exciting situation to me as a football fan because that's a Colorado team that we just haven't seen be competitive in forever. And you insert a guy like Deion Sanders, obviously bringing the transfer talent that he's bringing in. This transfer portal, man, they are going to get so many studs from this portal. Their recruiting is going to open up for them. And that's just another team that has been irrelevant for so many years that's getting into the mix. It's not taking away from other teams. It's adding another team to the mix that could come out here and potentially win some football games. And um, I don't know about you, Jake, and I don't know about the rest of America, but I personally like to turn on my TV on Saturdays and watch good football. Yeah, and it's 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 so I, – I agree, and it's funny because we're even seeing it happen in the coaching tree. I think we're seeing this 12-team playoff start to affect how these coaches are doing it because I think if it was a 14-team playoff, we never see um, – we never see um, Luke Fickle leave Cincinnati. Like that's I don't think that's something that happens. He goes to a more upper echelon team with uh what was it Wisconsin, a team that might get a little bit more notoriety because of strength of schedule and stuff. Um, am I right on Wisconsin or am I wrong? It's Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. Okay, he gets he gets to go to a team with maybe a little bit more notoriety, a little bit more strength of schedule. Can you know play on the bigger stage more often and has a legit chance to you know be in that top twelve if you put together a nice ten win season. Cincinnati's a little bit tougher. If you put together a 10-win season at Cincinnati, you're not going to be ranked in that top 12. That's It's not going to happen. But then it's funny because then we see Scott Satterfield leave Louisville and decide, oh, I want that Cincinnati job. Cincinnati gives me a better shot at getting to the to a 12-team playoff than what Louisville does. So we're seeing, like, we're seeing small jumps, it seems like, but it's actually significant jumps in the aspect of, okay, does this team get enough notoriety to end up in the top 12 compared to this team play good enough and get enough notoriety to get into that top four. Yeah, and there's such a stigma behind it, too, because you talk about a guy like that leaving Louisville and going to Cincinnati. Everybody and their mama is going to judge him. Be like, why would you do that? Why would you leave Power 5 school to go to the American Conference? Nobody's saying that about the guy that leaves the American Conference to join the Power 5 school. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody's saying that about the football player that's leaving a JUCO or leaving a smaller school to join a Power 5 conference. Nobody's saying that about those guys. But what we're going to sit here and judge is the coach that leaves Power 5 for Power 5 and for the player that leaves Power 5 for Power 5. And and what what's the difference? I don't really understand. If you're not playing on a Power 5 level and you want to move to another Power 5 school, I don't look at that any differently than you balling out in a smaller school or smaller conference, whether it be Division 1, Division 2, you know, Division 1, AA, whatever, and moving to a bigger school. Like, all these coaches and players are looking for is the best opportunity to succeed. And um, I'm sorry, but if you're a human being that doesn't live for the opportunity to succeed and doesn't strive to succeed in life, I mean, what are you doing? No, I, I agree. And I mean, it, it, it's the truth, especially in like when, in like the American conference and some of those smaller conferences. I don't even know if conferences matter too much nowadays when it comes to rankings. It's more of what you have done in the past that will help you out. UCF could have a, a worse record than some of these teams in the American Conference and still be rated high, higher because of how much notoriety they get. Or Cincinnati's the same type of way. Houston, there's a couple teams in the American Conference that are like that. They're big-name schools that can now schedule tougher competition. There's teams calling them, wanting to play them on a regular season basis, and they're getting those teams to play them, and they're you know playing competitive games with them. And it it almost seems like they're getting rewarded for that in you know a, in a ranking system, which you know take it how you want to, but I feel like 
uh, honestly, a nine and three UCF team or a nine and three Cincinnati team will get more respect than a nine and three Louisville team, even though Louisville plays in the ACC. No, and I mean at the end of the day, it's what that coach thought was the right decision for him. Yeah, and um, you can't really fault anybody for doing that. So it's just it's a it's a lose lose argument for multiple perspectives because regardless of what you do, there's going to be people out there that are judging you and hating on you for doing anything. But in the sports world. When you leave a situation for a situation that benefits you, that's just, I mean, you know, props to you, man. I, I don't care who you are. Yeah, it's its wild, man. It, it, there's a lot of stuff going on with it. I'm i am pumped, though, man. I be talking about college football, and I know I don't want to look ahead too far because we still got damn, we still got a national championship to win. And, man, for somebody that has always loved to see movement and loved to see teams, like, teams change and, you know, coaches moving, off seasons are fun to me. and. This college football offseason is going to be wild. No, you are absolutely right, and I'm here for it. Hey, Kenny, is that enough for the transfer portal? Getting up on an hour now. You want to go ahead and get these bets knocked out? Yeah, man, let's dive into these things. I will say I have some more stuff on my notes, but we do have a couple weeks before we really get, like, real, real content heavy. So we might save these for, uh, we might save these for next week. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we got plenty of time, man. There's there's so much football left to be played for, you know, luckily for us Georgia fans that get to look forward to the postseason. So, um, you know, we're just blessed with time to be able to break this thing down and, and really dive into the numbers. That's true. Um, all right, well, let's dive into the bets, man. Before we kick things off, I want to say um, another decent week for the boys. Our betting total is up to 66-47-1. So you're about 19 units up with us right now if you're rolling with us. So we appreciate y'all. Hopefully you're sick sticking around with us, winning some money. Um, it's getting better week after week. We just got to keep keep our heads down and keep uh, pushing forward. Obviously, we mentioned it where the the lines get a little bit tighter, the games get a little bit more competitive, the pe- the picks get a little bit harder. But um, you know, it doesn't change anything for us. We enjoy making picks, and uh, when we get to watch competitive football and have a dog in the fight, it makes it fun. So, yeah, nineteen units up right now, and let's kind of roll this thing in. Um, this week in college football, we have a one game. Um, it's a game everybody loves to to watch every single year. It's not the most exciting game in the world, but it is the Armed Forces game, the matchup, Army-Navy. We love to see it. Jake and I felt obligated to put a pick in here for this game because we don't have the standard, you know, four-team picks that we usually do with the college football slates that we're accustomed to having. So uh, without further ado, let's dive into this thing, Jake. Why don't you kick us off? Kick us off in the Army-Navy game. Um, Just to touch on what you said a little bit, man. It is the only game this week. It is one of the biggest rivalries in college football history, even though it's not the most exciting game every year. Um, we have we have a couple key stats right here, Kenny. And I actually kept this thing up so I can mention these on the podcast live. And it's funny because you actually gave me this idea. Um, the under in this game has actually hit 16 straight years. Um, in 2006, the total was set at 49 points, and Navy picked up a 26-14 to victory, cashing the under. It has been the under ever since then. I will say in this game, the over-under is currently set at 32 and a half. An extremely, extremely low number. Um, the average over-under for this game is set at, let me find the thing, is set at 47.8 points over those past 16 years. Um, the last two seasons, it has been set at 32 and a half both seasons, and the under has hit. I'm sorry, that was 
The last two seasons, he has entered at 36 points, and the under has hit in both of those games. Um, if the total was 32.5 points for every single one of those 16 games, the over would actually be 9-7. and seven. So this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Arm Force games are known to be, you know, kind of stinkers when it comes to, you know, over-under totals. You usually always hit the under. The total record in the past, uh, since 2005 in Arm Force, or... Service Academy games, I should say, is a uh, 43-9-1. So you're looking at a heavy under game. But I'm going to go switch it up on you a little bit, Kenny. I am going to go the over in Army versus Ooh. Navy. Um, it, it just feels necessary. We look at some of these matchups they've played in the last couple weeks, man. Some Both of these teams have had the ability to put up some points. Now, we'll say, um, I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm about to try to pull it up right now or see if I even can pull it up. There was a game against the Air Force Academy that Army played just four weeks ago on November 5th, and the final score was 13-7. Army did play Troy on November 12th, and the score was 10-9. Now, we mentioned Troy. We did mention Troy on the podcast. Troy's a damn good team. They play a damn good defense. They went out and, you know, put on for the city this past week. It wasn't an official pick, but we gave it. We told y'all, hey, bet Troy. They're going to dog them, and they did. Um, But UConn, man, they went out and played Connecticut 34-17. They went out and played UMass. 44 to 7. I know both those teams are dog water. They're trash. But still, they have been able to put up points. Then I look at Navy. November 12th, they lost to Notre Dame 35 to 32. Notre Dame sometimes can play a pretty decent defense. So that's a lot of points to be scored. They played Houston 38 to 20. They did lose the game, but that's 20 points on Houston. Hey, I'm smelling it over right here. It, it, the, the streak is going to break. We're not going to hit 17 years, guys. Bet the Army-Navy over 32 and a half. Let's do it. Hammer it. Hammer it, baby. Let's go. All right. I like that. We're breaking trends in here. We're changing the way we just talked about college football changing with the transfer portal, with the 12-team playoff. It's changing right here, too. And the under is no more. 17 years. It's over. Um. I like that a lot, and I respect it because I have these numbers in front of me, and I will tell you that this Army offense puts up 29.4 points per game as opposed to Navy's offense that puts up over 22 points a game. And both teams allow a little bit of point scoring. Army averages giving up 23 points a game where Navy averages just shy of 25 points a game. Um, One key thing I will say in this game, um, this Navy team plays in a conference, whereas Army does not. Navy plays in the um, American Conference. Drew a blank there. Um, So, you look at how these teams stack up a little bit. I don't want to say the numbers are misleading. But they could potentially be skewed a little bit for the fact that Navy plays, on average, a little bit better competition throughout the year than Army does. Mm -hmm. So, that's going to be my key disclaimer before I give this pick out. But what I'm going to say about this Army team, is that in the games that we have seen them play against tougher opponents, we look at a week one matchup against Coastal Carolina in a 38-28 to loss. We look at a week two matchup against UTSA in a 41-38 loss. We look at a week four matchup against Georgia State, 31-14. We talk about a ranked matchup against Wake Forest here where they got scalounced and gave up 45 points to the Wake Forest offense. So we have seen this Army team play some upper echelon opponents. And I'm not talking game breaker 
top 10 ranked teams. I'm just talking better than we're accustomed to seeing the Army team play. And in those games, they have both scored and given up a good bit of points. Um, and then you talked about the Navy side a little bit and, and what we could see from there. But obviously, Navy plays in that American Conference. So they're playing teams like Tulane, UCF, Cincinnati, SMU, East Carolina, you know, solid football teams. Um, what I'm going to say for this game is that what we've seen happen from this Army offense, more than what we've seen from the Navy offense, is the ability to move the ball down the field. Neither one of these teams passed the ball. Both quarterbacks, I mean, you look at Army's quarterback, man's got 335 passing yards on the season. Navy's quarterback's got under 800 passing yards on the season. Five touchdowns for him, two touchdowns for the Army guy. And obviously, these are two running teams. They run the triple option. That's what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball down your throat. They've got three or four running backs that are going to get the ball and probably go for upwards of 100 yards every single week. It's just what they do. They run the ball 60 times a game. Um and I feel pretty confident that this Army team is going to be able to move the ball pretty effectively against Navy. So my pick in this game, I am taking the Army Black Knights minus two and a half, or plus two and a half, excuse me. Um, this one was a little perplexing to me because I was kind of curious as to why Navy was ranked. And upon my research, I'm going to give it to the fact that I think Vegas is siding with Navy playing tougher opponents. I think they're going to give them the benefit on the strength of schedule side of things. But what the numbers tell me, man, is that Army should be favored in this game. Um, so you're giving me Army. You're giving me two and a half points with Army. I think Army wins this game outright. Um, I'm going to be looking at Army money line in this one, but give me plus two and a half for a little bit of a reassurance. I like it. Um, another thing for this game I want to mention, this Navy team, they're not really playing for anything. They're four and seven. They're completely out of the talks for anything. Um, this Army team right now, five and six, man. You win this game, then uh, you're looking at a six and six season. You're looking at break. You're looking at the 500 mark. This Army team has something to play for, and not just the fact that Army Navy is a competitive game every single year. You want to win it, obviously you do. But you talk about looking back at the season and feeling confident in, in how your boys were able to to perform and you finish the season at 500 i think you got a little bit more uh a, li a little bit more grit behind you than that navy team does so i'm giving army the benefit of the doubt and i'll be on them plus two and a half so you want another reason that vegas is siding with navy in this game what's that the reason behind that is is because navy allows 80 85.6 rushing yards per game Ooh. Army rushes for 304 yards per game. Now, Navy rushes the ball a lot. Navy, love, Navy also loves to run the ball. Not as much as Army. They, don't, they only run for 240. But I will say Army allows almost 200 yards a game on the ground. So the matchup is there. If, if you're looking at it from a numbers perspective, the matchup is there. Now, all the other numbers, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm with you on that, Kenny. I think just looking at the grand scheme of things and trying to ignore those numbers and just look at how I've seen them play ball, I think I would also lean Army. I think Army is the better football team. Now, I will say I, I did not know those numbers going into this. I'm actually just looking at them now. That is pretty, pretty interesting um, that Army cannot defend a run and Navy can, and both these teams are running teams. But you mentioned it, man. Army plays. Army plays doesn't play in a conference. They play a lot weaker opponents. I have not watched all the games, but I'm sure they've probably faced more running teams than what Navy has. I'm sure that there's teams out there that have been trying to 
toss the ball all over the yard on Navy. Obviously, they've given up over 100 more. They get up over 100 more passing yards per game than Army has. So it is a little bit of different, you know, leagues they're playing in. So I'm curious to see how this game turns out, man. I I, I like Army a lot. If you remember earlier in the year, I, this is a team that I was going with the over the first couple weeks because they were hitting. Um, so. I like our picks there, and I, I'm I'm seeing a two and zero despite despite what my numbers I just read off are saying. I, I like that Army team, and like you mentioned, six and six, playing for a nice little five hundred season going into next year, looking big. Well, yeah, and you're playing for bowl eligibility, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we saw Army last week. They they came out and played the, um, I think it was the Armed Forces Bowl, I believe. I don't know who they <clears> played, but they did win the game. And Army had a stellar season last year. They, well, I want to say a eight nine win team. Um, mm-hmm. so headed into this year, you don't want to finish with that disappointment, man. You win this game, you're bowl eligible, you're six wins, you lock in one more football game of the year where Navy, they don't have that. They're not playing for anything. So I think when you have bowl eligibility in the back of your mind, it just gives you a little bit more motivation headed into a game where you obviously already want to win it. So, um, I like Army. Now I'm curious though. I understand the whole 16 in a row unders. How did this number get so low? If this was two teams that was not Army and Navy, we're looking at the base numbers, looking at recent, you know, stats, looking at all these numbers, and we saw 32 and a half, we're pounding the over. No doubt about it. We're seeing two teams that are both averaging over 22 points per game. Neither team plays very good defense at all. They're both allowing over 22 points per game. One team with Army's almost averaging 30 points per game on the offensive side of the football. This game should not be set at 32. 32 and a half. That, it, it should not happen. I, I, it is crazy. And I know the armed force games we mentioned, it, they do have a little bit of a stigma to them. So <laughs> I'm just excited for this game, man. This is a game that everybody can get excited for. It's the only game of the day. Everybody watches it. Just get ready for some football. It's the last little bit of like, I'm not going to say meaningless because, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions about bowls, meanings and stuff like the stupid little garbage bowl that, that some teams that some six and six teams going to be playing another six and six team in. But this is like the last, like almost meaningless game of the season, like regular season wise. So. Hey, let's enjoy it. Yeah, a little 3 o'clock kickoff. You get to top off the middle of your day with some good football headed into the afternoon. And uh, it's Christmas time. Set up the Christmas tree, kick back, have some Christmas lights going on, maybe throw in a little fire in the fireplace and uh, enjoy some good football. And uh, I know down here in Georgia, at least something that, that I get excited about is um, this weekend is a state championship weekend for high school football. So, um, you know, fire up. I, I believe it's starting tomorrow night fire up the old uh gpb and watch some georgia high school football it's a good little weekend and top it off with army navy i'm excited about it man yeah um i I do want to mention that i i will be probably pretty pretty deep in some beers at that point uh dear friend friend of the pod jacob's birthday is this coming up weekend happy birthday jacob happy birthday um and i will be going to athens this weekend to celebrate with him um happy 22nd birthday jacob for real though excited for it so i'm sure we'll be enjoying the army navy game and also enjoying some nice cold beer together as sam Pittman would say some ice cold bud light wood sam Pittman, man we're rolling with him yeah i love our picks man it's it's kind of a hard thing so we're only gonna give 10 this week instead of our normal 16 but we had to give something for college that's right let's dive into the men's league men's league what you want to start us off i'll kick us off here um following the same format that we do every single week um Obviously, the NFL season, we still got some a lot of ball left to play here in the league. So um, we got a full slate ahead of us, and I'm very excited for it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, 
for the favorite, my favorite of the week in the NFL. This is something I looked at many avenues. Um, and where I landed, I honestly feel pretty good about it. And I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers minus two and a half at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I love this pick. I really do. Um, and honestly, I will say this. Lamar Jackson is an absolute dog. Um one of the best quarterbacks in the league, one of the best athletes in the league. He is not particularly good against Pittsburgh. So even if he was healthy in this football game, this may be something that I think I might take a peek at. But Lamar Jackson, with that being said, is out. He is not going to be playing this game. And that brings in Mr. Tyler Huntley. Um, I like Tyler Huntley. I think Tyler Huntley is a really good player. I think he's really exciting. He's a guy that you watch play, and he's extremely fast, extremely athletic. He can push the ball down the field. But let me tell you something here about Mr. Tyler Huntley. He has played in 11 career games in the NFL and has scored a grand total of three touchdowns. Um, so he is not particularly good at putting up points. And against a Pittsburgh defense that is pretty good, they can get after the passer, they can stop the run. They've got some guys back there that can, kill you, that, that can uh, stop your pass game, but they are – particularly good against the run in an offense that's missing their number one passer. I think we are primed for a Steelers upset in this one. Um, Steelers upset, speaking from even keel, healthy teams. In this game, you give me the Steelers favored by two and a half. I like this a lot, man. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's not my pick, but I would take a peek at this under. Line set at 36 and a half. I know it's low, but we just watched the Pittsburgh-Atlanta defensive grudge match last week um i don't think we can expect anything different from an injured baltimore offense yeah um this it kind of it kind of resembles my pick last week when i picked the under in the uh falcon steelers game we're looking at a backup quarterback with tyler huntley a guy that is a um is a solid backup but we look at him playing i'm I'm assuming that that's going to force baltimore to try to run the ball a little bit more um Try to get keep things on the ground a little bit. Don't want, don't ever want your backup to go out there and throw the ball forty times, especially nope. a guy like Tyler Huntley because that's not really his game. And we mentioned, I mentioned it last week with the Steelers being able to stop the run. Um, that is what they do, and it showed last week against Atlanta. I'm assuming it's going to show again this week against Baltimore. Um, and you know Baltimore's really been struggling. Pittsburgh's been kind of almost on a hot streak recently, so I like that pick a lot, Kenny. Um, and I'm going to give you my my uh, favorite now, and my favorite of the week is the Kansas City Chiefs. Minus nine and a half at Denver. There's no reason not to put put your money on this, guys. Um, we look at Kansas City. They're scoring 29.2 points per game. They're allowing 22 and a half on defense. Um, then we look at Denver. They're scoring 13.8 points per game, and they're allowing 17. This is a team that has lost four games in a row, including a game two weeks ago where they lost to Carolina 23 to 10. Um, I want to say that was the Sam Darnold game. That was the first Sam Darnold game we saw. Um, Kansas City's about to kill these guys. Um, it, we have said it uh, multiple times. Denver's defense is really what kind of keeps them in ball games. We look at their games; they don't really get blown out too much. They they have a lot of low scoring totals that happen. It's not going to stay true this week, y'all. Um, now we'll say Denver's mostly susceptible to the run. They're not a very good run defense team, and we know Kansas City likes to put the ball through there. But they are a team that, man, they can put up 100 yards on the ground with, with a couple of different guys. I mean, I know McKinnon's more of a, of a receiving bet, but the main guy we look at is, um, look, there goes my name issue again. 
Isaiah Pacheco. Pacheco. I almost said Crowell. Wrong guy. Former uh, guy yeah. that got kicked out of Georgia. <laughs> yeah, Mark. I, yeah. Isaiah Isaiah Pacheco, man. He's a guy that has had a couple totals this year, racking up some rushing yards. But at the end of the day, Kansas City is going to kill them through the air. It, it's going to happen. Um, Denver does play a good, really, really good passing defense. But the thing is, that's mostly because they have the number one cornerback in football with Patrick Sertain. That does not stop Travis Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> that, is no, one thing, that is one thing about Kansas City that makes them so much different is that their number one wide receiver is a tight end, and it makes it a little bit more harder to stop. Outside of Travis Kelsey, we look around their receiving core. Not really anybody that stands out, but very, very deep. A lot of solid, solid wide receivers out there. So one lockdown corner is not going to help you in that aspect. This is not a team that just runs somebody out wide every, you know, every play, and you can just lock like ghost your number one corner on. This is a team that's going to hurt you in multiple ways. Uh, number one being Travis Kelsey. Outside of that, we look at guys like Juju, we look at guys like Kadarius Tony, we look at guys like MBS. There's a lot of guys on this team that can that can hurt you through the air. And I think Kansas City's gonna do it just fine this week. Another thing worth mentioning in this game is that Patrick Mahomes has played the Denver Broncos nine times in his career. Okay. And he is nine and oh. Nine and oh. Going ten and oh this week, I guarantee it. Never lost to the Broncos, and I don't see a reason to believe that he will this week. This Broncos team is bad. Very bad. Russ has been cooking up a nice three and nine season. Um, I, it's funny because I'm gonna look ahead a little bit. They actually chose the Denver Broncos as one of the teams that's gonna be playing on Christmas Day, and now we're going to get a Denver Broncos Russell Wilson led team against a Los Angeles Rams team that's led by Baker Mayfield on Christmas Day. So thank you, people that put together the NFL schedule. It sounded like a good idea before the season started. I will say that, but it did. It's not it looking did. too it's pretty right now. Delay, and I don't feel quite. All right, give me your dog. All right, my dog of the week. Um, this is the most obvious line. If you've been on Twitter looking at anything on betting Twitter, man, everybody's seen this one. The Minnesota Vikings plus two and a half at Detroit. Um, this is a game that both me and Kenny have been trying to find a reason behind this. Um, and this is one of those games that you don't want to overthink because if you look at the really, really deep numbers, you look at points per game and you look at yards allowed per game it does get a little bit nerve-wracking because this detroit team is really not that different from this minnesota team when it comes to points per game and yards allowed per game their point like their differentials are not that much different and the reason behind that is because this minnesota team is a team that has figured out how to win ball games by one possession all season long and i want to say this what makes me think that's going to change this week I know Detroit is coming off of a great outing last week against Jacksonville. They put up 40 points on Jacksonville, did whatever they wanted to on the offensive side of the football. But still, man, I don't think it's going to change. Minnesota has done it every game this year outside of a Dallas game where they got blown out. They have won games by one possession. That is what Minnesota does, and I think they're going to continue that this week against Detroit. I agree. Um, Obviously, this is the most obvious line of the week. I 100% will be on this game. I am not giving it as my official pick, and the only reason I'm not doing that is because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jake was going to be on it. Um, so, hopping into my underdog of the week, this is um, probably, if you're looking at underdogs, the second pick that you're going to see and your ears are going to perk or your eyes and your ears are going to perk up a little bit and you're going to think hmm I wonder what's going on here I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers plus three and a half at San Francisco against the Brock Purdy led 49ers um 
Trey Lance goes down, second game of the year, career or uh, season-ending injury. Jimmy G goes down last week, season-ending season ending injury. Mr. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft, comes in and plays great, dude. He looks awesome. Um, and you might be saying, Kenny, why do you think that things could shape up any differently for this guy? Um, and it, it, it's pretty simple, guys. When you're the last pick in the NFL draft, and you're the first Mr. Irrelevant ever in NFL history to throw a forward pass, and you're lining up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in your first career start against the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, I think he might be, I think his shivers might be a little, or I I think his timbers might be a little shivered in this game, I should say. Excuse me for a little pirate reference there against the Buccaneers. Um, I think, man, this has got all the makings for a Tampa Bay upset. This Buccaneers team has looked bad all season long. They're get they're back to 500. They come out with a crazy 14 point comeback. Um, if if you watched the game last week, Tom Brady comes back at the end of the game, wins it with seconds left on the clock, which is you know very Tom Brady esque of him. Um, but against a team like the 49ers, who are a very very good football team, um, if you remember last week, I picked the Dolphins to beat this team by or to cover three and a half against this team. They did not. They got their butts whooped. Um, but in a San Francisco 49ers matchup where you got a, a Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant quarterback, taking his first career start, I think it's just going to be a little bit too much for me. Um, and I'm going to be on Tampa plus three and a half. Also, one thing I really love in this game is that 65% of the money is on the 49ers and 54% of the bets are on the 49ers. Big fade the public week for me. I am on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fun fact, I saw on Twitter the other day, and I don't know the exact numbers, and I don't know the tweet that put it out. But I want to say it was something like Tom Brady in his career is one in th- was 1-37 in in his career when down by 14 or more points going into the fourth quarter. Before the game against the Saints, because obviously he came back for more than that, and the one sole game... He did that was the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl. So just just a little just a little note out there. I had to throw it out there. I saw it on Twitter. It was pretty interesting. Um, and this is also the guy that set the record this past weekend for most fourth quarter comebacks of all time. I believe it was his forty fourth fourth quarter comeback. So congrats to Tom, man. Good good stuff for him. And I'm a hundred percent with you, man. How many times in league history or in even recent memory have we seen some you know new guy that nobody's heard about come out his first week? Maybe the starter gets hurt. Maybe you know start to get scratched, you know, right for the game or something happens and this guy lights the world on fire and then you forget about him after that. Never see him again. He's he's benched in two weeks and stuff just happens. This just has that written all over it. Brock Purdy, it just seems like you're a one-hit wonder, man. <laughs> it just it, It's too much there for me to go with San Francisco. And honestly, I don't think these teams, talent-wise, are much different even when fully healthy. Um, You take away a starting quarterback like Jimmy G, who might be one of the best game managers in the NFL, and you add a guy like Brock Purdy, an unproven uh, unproven rookie quarterback out of Iowa State, going against the Tampa Bay defense that has a lot of talent on it. And uh, I think I think the writing is on the wall, man. I think I'm with you on this. Um, I would definitely roll with the plus three and a half. And, you know, even if Tampa Bay does lose, you get a field goal. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brock Purdy, I'm sure you're a great guy. You were a great quarterback at Iowa State. I don't wish anything mm-hmm. bad on you, buddy. I hope you do well in the NFL. You know, oh, yeah. 
all the power in the world to you. This is a 49ers team that we expected to be in on waivers for Baker. And um, uh, obviously he got claimed by the Rams. Um, but even before, and Kyle Shanahan said, you know what? Like, we're, we're going to look into all possibilities, but we're good with Brock. Brock's a good quarterback. We're going to roll with him. So, um, you know, your team's got confidence in you. I think that's such a huge thing in the NFL. But you talk about first career start and you line up against 12 on the other side of the ball, man. Um, it's just not looking too good for Mr. Purdy's odds. Yeah. Um, another fun fact about Baker Mayfield, you know the Rams are the only team that put a claim in on him? Saw that. That is interesting. It really makes you think about his upcoming free agency. Very, very interesting. <laughs> um, and I believe he I might think... have some draft. I, I want to say he has some draft compensation that comes with him if he signs with a different team at the end of the season, too. I want to say that the Rams will now get some type of draft compensation if he, if he goes somewhere else after the end of the season. And still, there is one team that claimed him. I think you're right. I think it's like a fifth rounder. That's kind of scary. <laughs> It is very crazy. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I like, I like, I like the bet a lot, Kenny. Um, were you about to say something? I was gonna, I was gonna dive into my over. All right, go ahead. Yeah, get your over done. That's cool. I'm following you, Jake. I'm taking the Chiefs Broncos over forty three and a half. Let's go. That was another one I looked at hard, man. I don't care about that Broncos defense. Get them out of here. This is Patrick Mahomes. This is the best quarterback in the NFL. This is the most explosive offense in the NFL. Um, 43 and a half is not enough points. Don't overthink it, boys. Take the over. Yeah. You mentioned this Chiefs defense is not completely shut down. I would not be surprised if Denver comes out and drops 13, 14 points on them. Kansas City will help the rest of it themselves. They'll score 30 plus, I believe. Um, but I'm with you 100%. It seems yeah. like Kansas City, man. The only time you see Kansas City not score 30 points is games that they lose. <laughs> there. There are just a few teams in the NFL and in college that you look at who they match up against on defense and you look at the defensive numbers and they just hold no weight at all to you. And the Kansas City Chiefs are number one on that list. I don't care yes. what your defense looks like. I don't care how you stop the run, how you stop the pass. We have just seen more often than not Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in this Chiefs offense come out there and torch teams. And I just, against a very bad Denver Broncos team, I don't care what the defensive numbers show me. 43 and a half, I'm all over it. All right, so I'm about to get a little crazy here, Kenny. And this is a, another risky pick right here by me. Um, and it, it is because both quarterbacks in this game are questionable with injury. <laughs> okay. I am going to go the over in the Tennessee Titans-Jacksonville Jaguars game. The over 41 and a half. Now, this is an interesting one, man. This is a Tennessee team that has had times where they have played solid defense, and then they've had times like last week where they did not play any defense at all. Now, I will say they were playing the Philadelphia Eagles, which is, you know, a juggernaut in the NFL right now. But this Jacksonville team has had the ability to be able to put up some points when they're fully healthy. Now, they, they like to go out there and throw the ball. We look at Tennessee. What does Tennessee do? They allow passing yards. They don't allow rushing yards, but they do allow a lot of passing yards. If Trevor Lawrence is healthy, they're going to throw the ball with ease. Trevor Lawrence has put together a really, really solid season right now. A nice little 2,800 yards so far, 17 touchdowns and six interceptions. They like to throw the ball. Now, we look at it the other way around. Jacksonville's not too great at stopping that run. We mentioned it last week. Now, last week I was wrong when I when I was giving Tennessee the benefit of the doubt against the Philadelphia Eagles by picking them as my underdog of the week. But again, I'm going to say it again: King Henry's coming to town, boys. 
even though it's a home game for uh even though it's a home game for Tennessee. King Henry's still coming to town. He's still gonna be there and he's still gonna be running that damn rock because that's what he does. Um now this is a very, very risky thing because like I said, Ryan Tannehill and Trevor Lawrence are both questionable. Um but you know, I, I'm a little bit comfortable on that Tennessee side if Malik Wills does have to play because that will, you know, kind of force Tennessee to run the ball even more. And whenever Tennessee's running the ball, I, I think they'll have some pretty good success, man. And that number just seems a little bit low for me in this type of matchup. No, I agree. I think this game's got all the makings for it, the over. And you mentioned it really well there. The key point in picking the over in this game is that what one team does well offensively, the other team does poorly on defensively. Yep. And anytime you get those spicy little matchups, it, it kind of – it. it it gets the hair on the back of your neck standing up a little bit because you just see that number in there. And anytime, it, it it feels like Vegas is they're obviously very into these people make a ton of money. And when you look at where the line is for a situation like that, it typically is a little bit higher than you would like to see. Mm -hmm. So uh, it feels like we might be getting a little bit of a little bit of a gift right here with this one. No, I agree. Um, Jacksonville does like to run the ball too. They like to run and pass the ball. Um, Etienne's a stud say that now but they don't have to run the ball they can throw yeah. the ball all over the yard so I, I like that number a lot I'm ha i was happy i can get it at that, uh at that 41 and a half i don't think it's gonna go over by much i will say that this is not a game you're gonna be looking at as a game that gets into like point totals of 55 and 60 but it is a game i can see easily getting to like 45 or 45 you know 46 somewhere in that range no i agree 100 percent um well round it out jay what's your under of the week all right, so this is the classic one-sided under right here. This is the classic, okay, I think this team is going to be able to put up a whole lot of points, but the other team's not. And that under is 45-and-a-half in the Texans-Cowboys game. This, I love this pick. I hate to say it, man. I really, really do. Dallas Cowboys are damn good at football. The Dallas yeah, are. Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender. I know we make the joke that Dallas always chokes in the playoffs. But as of right now, at this point in the season, Dallas is a juggernaut in the NFL. They are a really, really, really good football team. You know what the Texans are? Texans are still the damn worst team in football. We say this every single week because one of our picks always involves the Texans. Either picking an under because they're playing some opponents going to blow them out, um, or we're picking a point spread that's going against the Texans. You never bet for the Texans. This is a team that's almost scoring a full 10 points less than what they're allowing on defense. And Dallas is scoring a full 10 more points than what they're allowing on defense. Dallas plays a really good defense, um, and they play a really, really good offense. Texans don't play really good offense, and they don't play really good defense. I, Texans might not score 10 points in this game. You know what happens at that point? Um, I, I almost want to say that Dallas takes the foot off the pedal, but we're looking at a team that has scored 40-plus in three straight weeks. Or, or not three straight weeks. They scored 40-plus in... Uh, three of the past five weeks, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> and it kind of makes me a little bit nervous. But I just don't think the Texans are going to give any help whatsoever in this game. I know I know they've made the switch back over to Davis Mills from Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen has a short-lived career. But honestly, this team has this team has scored more than 15 points in like three games this year. This team yeah. sucks. So It's bad. It's, it's real bad. bad. So give it to me, man. Um, I would honestly, I know the spread is a lot at 16 and a half. I'm talking about a team like Dallas that just beat Indianapolis 54 to 19. Yeah. I'm talking about a team that beat Minnesota two weeks ago, 40 to 3. 
this uh this Dallas team. I hate to say it too, but they're a good football team. They really are a good football team. They just they really are. They found their stride with Tony Pollard, and now Ezekiel Elliott is back toting that thing again. They have the best two-headed monster at running back in the NFL right now. Tony Pollard is playing out of his mind, and Zeke is scoring two touchdowns a game, it seems like, in the past couple weeks. So it is it is crazy to see, man. And I I I I'm not a Dallas person. I'm also not a Dallas hater. And I know we're saying we hate to say it, Kenny. Me and you are nowhere near as big of Dallas haters as most people are. Like we're we like Romo. We like Dak. Like I think we both love Dak. Um I think we both like Zeke. Like it, it's just the trend to say you hate Dallas. Like I, I don't hate that Dallas. Is very true. No, that is that is very true. And um, in true Peach State tailgate fashion, I am taking an under for the exact opposite reason that you did. Um, I'm taking an under on a very two-sided reason, and that is the Las Vegas Raiders traveling to L.A tomorrow night to take on the Rams in Baker Mayfield's first start for the Rams. We're expecting um, two things here. Very interesting point. Something that I had to look up because I saw on Twitter, shout out whoever posted this. The Las Vegas Raiders are 21st in the NFL in points per game on the road. Against the Rams defense playing at home, which regardless of where they play, this Rams defense is really, really good. This is a, a, a top-tier defense in the NFL. They haven't been playing the best football this season, I will say, uh, you know, accustomed to what – or to uh, according to what we're accustomed to seeing from them. But for the most part, this Rams defense is just star-studded on the defensive backfield to the linebacking core to the pass rush, just everywhere, man. Just studs everywhere. Um and they have a really, really good, really, really good chance in this game, I think, to limit the Raiders' offense that struggles on the road. And then on the Rams' side of things, on the offensive side of the ball, this Rams' offense has been bad all year, period. It doesn't matter if Matthew Stafford's in, if, if Walford's in, or if the Virginia kids, it doesn't matter. And you're telling me that Baker Mayfield gets picked up off waivers yesterday on a Tuesday and is set to make his first start for this team? Two days later, not even 48 hours later, you think this guy's going to come in there and put up 20 points against another NFL defense? Look, I'll be the first to admit, man, I love Baker Mayfield. I'm a big fan. I loved him in college. What he did at Oklahoma is amazing. His story is incredible as a walk-on to a Heisman uh, champion. He is an absolute dog, and I think what he did in Cleveland can't go unnoticed either. Guy had one of the best rookie seasons ever. Had a really, really good stint there with Cleveland, taking them to the best success that they've had in years. And I think he got, I think he was done a little bit dirty in Cleveland, I will say. I'm on that side of things. But nonetheless, of my fanship of Baker Mayfield, you can throw that out the window. The guy's not been playing well. He's not been playing good football. He was dealing with injuries all last year. And, you know, I don't know if he's dealing with anything now, but regardless of what his status is, man, he just hadn't been able to put it together. I wish he would, man, because I love watching him play, and I want to see him play throughout the future. But unless he goes in here and does something amazing with this Rams team for the rest of the season, it's looking rough for Baker right now. But um, 
it's such a lose-lose situation for him, and I feel terrible for him because he is going to be judged so heavily on what he's able to do in this game if he does get the starting nine, and that is so unfair for a quarterback, regardless of how long you've been in the league, how little you've been in the league, to come in there and start a game with a new team 48 hours after you were signed and expect to go out there and put your team in a position to win. I just don't think it's very likely, um, regardless of who you are. But you give me a Baker Mayfield that's been struggling, and I think it's even more likely. So two reasons right there. I think both of these teams, you look at the numbers and how they stack up, this this game right here screams under, and we're getting a line like 43-and-a-half, which I really, really like to see. Anytime we're up over that 39-and-a-half, 40 mark, it makes you feel a little bit better. Mm. 42 is the key number right here, boys. And uh, 43-and-a-half, you get the hook-and-a-half on this one. So uh, I'll take the under. No, I'm a thousand percent with you. And and the key reason this game, you know, that line is actually very interesting to me. I think that line is significantly higher than what it probably should be. I would think this game would be somewhere closer to like 40, 39. And the key reason that it is that high, honestly, is because of the Raiders offense. Um, the Raiders can do have the ability to put up some type of points. I will mention this, though. Um, they do have the NFL leading rusher right now with Josh Jacobs. Um, Josh Jacobs has been going bonkers this season. It's pretty funny because didn't he get his fifth year option declined before the season started? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and now he is the leading rusher in the NFL with thirteen hundred yards through uh what thirteen weeks. So, um, this man's about to go out there and put up sixteen, seventeen hundred yards and be a free agent because they decided to decline his fifth year option. So, got some interesting stuff going on. Um. The Rams have not really been playing how we thought they were, even on the defensive side of the ball. But one thing they are pretty good at is stopping the run. They only allowed 97 yards per game, you know, on the ground. And a lot of their bad mojo they've had is because the offense turns the ball over so damn much, man. This offense is bad. This offense was bad with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. Take both those guys out of the equation. Um... It's even worse. Allen Robinson is not the guy we thought he was. Um, in, in Chicago, we saw it with Allen Robinson. Something about him with L.A., man, he just can't figure it out. He, he's not that guy anymore. Tyler Higby's a pretty solid target they can throw to. Um, but even then, man, he's not no top-tier tight end. He's just re- reliable hands, a guy you could just toss the ball to. You know he's going to catch it. And something about this Rams team, they do not have a running back. Daryl Henderson Ooh. got placed on waivers. He's gone. Cam Akers is is no good. Um, they, they cannot run the ball to save their lives. Um... The Raiders, man, the Raiders can't put up points. They also don't play defense. But for the reasons I just mentioned, um, the Rams can't score. The Rams do play a pretty good run defense. This, If this has a chance of going over, it is because Derek Carr has an absolutely insane game. And you mentioned it with the talent that this Rams team has in the defensive backfield. Um, it, It's pretty heavy. Jalen Ramsey, I think, has given up the most touchdowns in the NFL. That's not something that's going to maintain, I don't believe. Um, AJ Terrell's given up the second most touchdowns in the NFL, I believe, in one-on-one coverage. That's also something that's not going to maintain. Things are going to change um, at some point, and I just don't, I just don't love either of these teams in this matchup. I think this is going to be an absolute stinker. No, I agree, and that's why I'm on the under man. Um... They could, if they come out here and Baker Mayfield looks like he did at Oklahoma and comes out here and throws for 450 yards and seven touchdowns, then um, I'll just take my lumps and be wrong about it. But uh, I, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's very likely. No. We see this team lose guys like Odell, and I know Bob Woods was struggling from a torn, what, torn ACL last season, but just, just some of these key guys they've lost over the past season. Then Cooper Cup, obviously, this year. 
bringing in Allen Robinson, they just haven't really been able to, you know, produce in the past game. And like we mentioned with the run game, it's terrible. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. That total's too high. Way too high. All right, is that it? I mean, we're at hour 40, so we, we, we've been crushing this podcast, man. Yeah, a little single episode week for us, so a little bit long-winded, but hey, we had a lot to cover. Yeah, a lot of fun, too. It was a blast, man. Oh, yeah. But that's it for me, man. That's it for me, too. I'll go ahead and say thank you so much. Um, You've heard the whole spiel by now. If you listen to our episodes, man, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, find us anywhere. We do the live on YouTube. You listen to us podcast side. Watching us on YouTube live right now, you're seeing our beautiful faces. You can find us on Spotify and our podcast. If you miss anything, you can go back and check it out. Um, but thank you guys so much. And uh, Kenny, is, is, is that your closing remarks? Be good? Yeah, man. Thank you all so much, and we'll catch you next week. All right. Peace.